certainly necessary today that our church and I'm sure tens of thousands of churches all over the country are taking a moment today to pray for those who lost loved ones in the Boston Marathon, for those who are planning funerals today, for those who have loved ones in hospitals today and they're trying to figure out how to pay their medical bills or how to get back home, for people who have missed now more than a week of work and they don't know what their future holds. Uh, we can only imagine the scenarios. But when all else fails, and we wish we could help and we don't know what to do, we pray. So would you join me right now as we just, as our church, send our hearts to those in Boston who have been hurt and impacted. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today. Lord, our hearts are heavy for what happened in Boston. But Lord, we trust that you are God and in the midst of chaos, that you can bring healing, that you can bring peace that you can bring safety to a, a worldview that gets so shaken. And with God, we pray for those uh, families, those four families who lost loved ones this week so unexpectedly, from a little eight-year-old to a police officer to, Lord, just spectators of a marathon. We pray for their families. We pray for their hearts. We pray for their finances. We pray for their mental and their emotional stability. God, we pray for the hundreds that are still in hospitals still trying to get nursed back to health. We pray that you'll be with them and their families in the practical issues of life from their employment places, giving them paid time off to being able to pay hospital bills to recovering quickly, to learning how to walk with prosthetic limbs, and on and on and on, God, we could go through the details of what is needed. And God, for us in this church today in Lee Summit, Missouri, um, wondering how something like this can happen, glad that it didn't happen to us, yet guilty for feeling that sometimes, praying that it won't happen to us. God, we just pray for our country. We pray for its people. And God, we just pray for this world that somehow through our lives, the light of God will shine, the people will come to know you, they'll submit their lives to you, and God, that the world will find comfort and hope and direction in this life, and Lord, uh, eternal blessing and life in the next, through Jesus. Help us as we pursue our part of that journey today. We see things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Um, we are in the month of April at our church on a mission to uh, identify some small steps spiritually that will have big impact in our lives. So we're doing a series called Big, uh, but the big is little because we're looking for the smallest step spiritually we can take that will have the biggest impact. And yet, last week we said that one of those steps was prayer. Uh, now, if you were here last week, great. This is the first part of, of today's Bible study. is going to be kind of a continuation of what we studied last week. Um, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, as we get into this prayer challenge of today, to go back and podcast or watch online last week's message so you can familiarize yourself with it. But last week we said this, and, and it was perfectly played out for us through the events of this week um, from Boston Monday to Colorado yesterday where five snowboarders were killed uh, in an avalanche. Um, we said that America lives and exists in a culture of prayer. Prayer doesn't scare us. Prayer doesn't surprise us. We know about prayer. We have prayed. We have been prayed to. We have been prayed with. We live in a culture of prayer where, where we get it. Uh, we understand what prayer is. But very few people have a life of prayer. Uh, and perhaps this week you've been prayed with, prayed at, prayed around, um, ex ex experienced more prayer this week than normal. But when nothing goes wrong, 
maybe the prayer goes away. And we have said as we desire to journey spiritually, to know who Jesus is and to be closely connected with God, that one of the things, one of the little things we can do to help us take a big step spiritually is we can learn to pray. So last week, the emphasis was on learning how to pray. And last week, I gave a very simple little outline and, and actually gave a sticker to those of you who are here that look like this. And I ask you to put it on the inside of your Bible like I have put mine, or in your office, or your car, someplace where you could remember how to pray. Because we learned from Jesus' disciples last week that um, becoming a Christian doesn't teach you how to pray. You actually have to learn the steps of what it means to pray. And last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer that was taught to us by Jesus as a model of how to pray. And we said, here's how Jesus wants us to pray. He wants us to learn what it's like to have adoration in our spirit, to be able to tell God while we love him. By the way, if you did not pick this up last week, they have these, the ushers will have them at the next steps tent. They'll have them at the table. I encourage you, get this, put it somewhere where it reminds you to pray. But we said God wants us to, God wants to understand that we love him. We talked about the sea confession. Jesus said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we said it's important to have confession of sins in our life, that we want to make sure our hearts are clean before God. We said it's important to have an attitude of gratitude. We call that thankfulness in this acronym of ACTS. And we said we should take time at least weekly to share, uh, to thank God for the blessings in our life. And then we said this S is, it's a, it's a weird kind of church word, not a word we use a lot, supplication, which literally means you, you ask God to supply your needs. So this word supplication means to pray for the needs in your life. And I had a lot of questions last week come into me through Facebook, email, and everything else um, saying I get adoration, I get confession, I get thanksgiving, I get supplication. Talk to me about, Christian, how I can pray for my needs. What's, what's a good way to understand how to pray for myself and, and how does that work from I don't feel deserving to I don't know how to, you know, I don't want to seem entitled. How, how do I pray for myself? And that was a great question I wouldn't have had time for in last week's message, but I'm going to squeeze it in here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of First Chronicles. It's going to be in the Old Testament, kind of right before the Psalm era. So if you find Psalms, just go left a few books and you'll find it. If you don't have your Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They're going to give you a Bible. And I want to share one of the greatest verses of the Old Testament with you. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. Um, if you don't know where yours is or you literally don't have one, this is yours. Keep it. Put your name in it. If you just need a Bible to use today, we'll kind of be flipping around. Um, they'll give you one. You can throw it on the usher's table when you leave. But we've given away more than 400 Bibles like this since we started. And make sure you've got the back of your bulletin queued up, ready to go with your pen, so you can take some notes. But in First Chronicles chapter 4, we read, like I said, one of the greatest verses in the Old Testament um, on prayer and on helping us understand how to pray. Now, as a pastor... I would never tell anyone to skip certain books of the Bible if they set a goal to read through the Bible. Um, because you never want to say that there are parts of the Bible that aren't important. But if there was one that makes less spiritual impact on you than others, First and Second Chronicles would be good books to skip because they're just... They're filled with... It's, it's, it's just filled with names. It's like the Dewey Decimal System of Old Testament... Israelites. It's just name after name after name after name. Most of them you can't pronounce. You don't want to pronounce. You just kind of try your best. Um, and I'm going to give you an example of this because we're going to be in First Chronicles 4, but I'm going to start in verse 7. The screen won't hit till verse 10. Our key verse isn't verse 10. But we meet someone who stands out in First Chronicles 4 because of the way 
that he prays. So if you're doing your devotions, if you're reading your Bible, when you get into First Chronicles, it's going to be highly frustrating. You'll think you're illiterate after a chapter or two because you just don't know how to read what's in front of you. Um, so I just make it up as I go. I mean, honestly, you say, well, you know, you've had some Hebrew and Greek training. That's true. Does that help you in Chronicles? No, I just make it up as I go. So here's, here's how most of Chronicles will sound. First Chronicles 4, 7. The sons of Helah. It's just listing family members. Uh, Zareth, Zohar, Ethnan, um, and Kaz, who I decided at 915, Cuz is a cooler way to say that than Kaz, because, yeah, I don't know, it's a cool nickname. Uh, who was the father of Anub and Hazabah, blah, blah, blah. Um, and of the clans of Arhalal and son of Haram. I mean, it, it's, it's hundreds of names just like that. But then you get to verse 9 and 10, and there's this strange break in these names that you can't read, that you can't pronounce. And this break is there because someone prayed. And here's what it says. Now Jabez, verse 9, was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. And Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. And here's what he prayed. This, this thought cried out here, if you look at the tense in the Hebrew language, it's, it's kind of an ongoing present verb, which means the, the thought is that he prayed this like every day of his life. Every day, Jabez would pray this sentence, and it's just one verse, I think two sentences in our Bible. Uh, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I'll be free from pain. And God granted his request. Now, if we were to continue, Caleb, Shuha's brother, was a father of me here, who was a father of Eshton, Eshton father, blah, blah. I mean, we just get back into redundant names. But something made Jabez special. What made Jabez so special? The fact that he prayed. And it wasn't just that he prayed, but it, it was what he prayed. You see a man here who understands, last week we talked about audacious friendship in Scripture, that God wants you to know that he's God and he wants you to ask him for things so he can prove to be God in your life. But we see how to pray for ourselves through this model prayer that Jabez gives to us, known today in the church as the prayer of Jabez. And Jabez prayed four things for his life. Now, I will confess to you, since I've heard this message in college, when I pray, I end every prayer that I ever pray when I'm praying by myself on my knees in my car, when I'm having private prayer time, I end every prayer praying the prayer of Jabez over my life. Every, every time I pray, I pray these four things for myself because Jabez showed us how to pray a prayer that God hears. And here's what he said. There were four things. He said, God, um, bless me. So when we look at Jabez, we say, how do we pray for our needs? Well, we ask God to bless us according to the prayer of Jabez. And, and listen, I always add, you say, well, how, how do you want God to bless you? I always add kind of the weekly blessings that I might need. We, we've, uh, as a church, um, been recognized by the, the church planning partnership that oversees us um, as doing a good job in our first 18 months. And there's a big church planning conference in Orlando this week, and they have asked me to come speak at one of the breakout workshops on just kind of the DNA of our church and what we do and why we do it. So I have been praying for the last couple of weeks when I pray this part of the prayer, God bless me. I've been saying, God bless me on Tuesday as I speak in Orlando to 50 guys who are getting ready to plant churches. Bless me to encourage them to follow their dream and, and to do their very best in planting their church. So I've been praying for God to bless me, but specific things in my life. Um, Jabez prayed and he asked God to expand his territory. This is showing us that it's okay to pray for God to expand the work of our life. Uh, God, I want you to bless me. I want you to see what I'm doing, and God, I, I want you to somehow expand my influence. God, I want you to somehow expand the ability that I have to make a difference. God, I want you 
to expand the territory that is my sales territory or the team that I coach or to give me a promotion. There's nothing wrong with asking God to take you from where you are to the next stage of life. Jabez prayed, number three, that God would be with him. And I love how Jabez pictured this because he prayed that God would bless him. He prayed that God would expand his territory. But then he drops back and he's like what I would refer to as a kid at Disney World who because of all the traffic and all the stuff going on, like won't let go of their mom and dad's hand. And it's like Jabez is saying, I want you to bless me and I want you to expand what's going on in my life, but I want you to stay right with me every moment of every day. Don't ever let go of my hand. So God bless me, God expand what I'm doing, but God don't ever leave me, always stay with me. And then he, then he asked God, fourthly said, God protect me from harm. Like as I live this life in this world that is just going crazy sometimes, God, I ask you to protect me, I ask you to protect my kids, I ask you to protect my wife, I ask you to protect our travel. So we see this tremendous outline of how to pray for ourselves. Um, we know we should in prayer get that spiritual DNA going of helping us understand how to love God and understand he's God. And we know what it's like to confess our shortcomings and our sins spiritually. And we know how to say thank you for what God's done for us. But sometimes we don't know exactly how to pray for ourselves. Jabez gives us a, a great model. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have your own model, don't steal mine because I stole his. Steal his and begin to pray over your life that God would bless you. But here's what I found interesting as I started putting together this big series about these little steps last fall. Um, as I wanted to teach on prayer, and I've been wanting to teach on prayer for a long time, God revealed to me, Christian, you can't really preach on prayer unless you preach everything the Bible has to say about prayer. Because the Bible teaches you how to pray, but the Bible also teaches about what I would call prayer problems. The Bible says there's a lot of people that pray that will never have their prayers answered. There's a lot of people who want things from God that will never get things from God because they've got these things going on in their life. And just asking God to bless you is not a slam dunk that it's going to happen. Just asking God to um, expand your territory is not a slam dunk. The Bible says that if we're going to pray, there's got to be certain spiritual conditions in our life that follow God's requirements of him granting us what we ask for. And if we're going to teach how to pray, we better make sure we all know what prayer problems to avoid so that our prayers are answered. And we said last week, what is the goal of prayer? The, the goal of this series is not for everyone to go pray. And I would love for that to happen. The goal of this series is for everyone in here to be closer to Jesus through prayer. You could go start praying every day on your knees five minutes a day and not grow any closer to Jesus because you're focused on prayer, not Jesus. So the goal of this series is to help you grow spiritually, and we're going to do that through prayer. I asked God as I was putting together this message, I felt like God revealed to me, Christian, there's a lot of people in this room who have a culture of Christianity in their life but not a daily walk with me. And I'm praying that this message will serve kind of as an on-ramp to get back into your spiritual journey on a daily basis. Uh, maybe you went to church growing up. Maybe you went to church through high school. Maybe you went to church till you had kids or till you got a job that make you, made you work on Sunday. I meet with people all the time and say, Christian, I haven't been to church in five years, 10 years, 20 years. And you're just kind of getting re-engaged spiritually. The goal of this message today is not for you to just go home and start praying. The goal of this message is for you to use this message as an on-ramp to begin to walk with God again and then live every day in a spiritual journey walking with Jesus. That's the goal, but it's interesting what we learn, the things that stand in the way of keeping that from happening. Now, how do we learn about prayer problems? I need to take you to a different book of the Bible. I need you to go to the book of James with me. The book of James is in the New Testament. It's one of the very last books in the Bible as, as you hold it in your hand. It's right after the book of Hebrews. Uh, and James is a great book. 
I have heard James uh, been called practical Christianity because James in five chapters, it's only 105 verses long, like literally says, here's what it is to be a Christian. Uh, when someone becomes a new Christian or when someone comes to our church and they rededicate their life and they say, I'm going to try to, I've been away from God for a little bit, but I want to start living for Jesus again. What should I do? I tell them, go read James. It'll take 15 minutes. And I have heard James called the Cliff's Notes of Jesus' ministry. James was the little brother of Jesus. From his book, it sounds like he hung around him and watched what he did a lot. And literally, it's like James summarized the most important things that Jesus said from the Sermon on the Mount to the Garden of Gethsemane. It, it was like James kind of said, here's a snapshot of what it means to be a Christian. Great book, great 105 verses. But what's so weird is three times in these five chapters, he tells us what will hinder our relationship with Jesus, specifically through prayer. He specifically says to Jewish people 2,000 years ago who grew up in a culture of prayer, who are trying to establish a relationship with Jesus, listen, as you try to establish a relationship with Jesus through prayer, these things are going to get in the way every time, and he gives us three. I want to share with you what those are so that you don't just learn to pray without really having your heart and spirit impacted in the direction Jesus wants you to live. What's the first one? James says that two-faced living and two-faced thinking in your life will always keep you from connecting with Jesus spiritually and, more than that, from having your prayers answered. Now, this word two-faced is not the word that James used. James used the word double-minded. But James wrote in Greek, we're speaking in English. Let me give you the picture of what James has tried to say. And I can think of it best through Batman. The, uh, one of the nemesis of Batman is Two-Face. Um, are you all familiar with that at all? In the latest Batman movie, it was played by Tommy Lee Jones. Um, and literally half of his face looks like a normal guy, and half of him looks like a villain. He literally is two different people. The word hypocrite in the New Testament is a theatrical word, and it's the word mask. The word hypocrite means mask. I put on something so that you'll think I'm something else. Two-faced living and two-faced thinking are the person who, around church, they wear their Christian mask. And everyone at church thinks they really love Jesus. But when they leave church, before they get out of the parking lot, they take that mask off. They put on their normal mask, their worldly mask. And no one outside of church would ever know that they love Jesus, that they went to church, that they read their Bible. And they literally live two different lives in two different worlds. And their soul is kind of torn between following Jesus a little bit and following the world a little bit. James says that kind of person spiritually one, they're really going to be hindered spiritually, but two, their prayer life is not going to work. Look what he says in verses 5 through 8. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and again, here's the theme. If you need something, ask God. Prayer is important. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God answers prayer right there. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such person is double-minded and they're unstable in all that they do. Now, when I begin to shape this Bible study for our church on Monday morning, this verse sounded really good to me. And I didn't have to dig very deep to explain this verse. But as the week went on and I glanced at it again later in the week, I thought I, I had to do some introspection because I've had some doubt this week um, while I've prayed. I've had some doubt while I have watched CNN and Fox News. I've had some doubts while I have listened to talk radio, and I have watched these two brothers terrorize Boston, and I watched an eight-year-old, just a little kid, 
die. And I saw a picture of the, the guy who sat the backpack literally at the feet of an eight-year-old and his little sister. And I have wondered why God would allow something to happen. I have doubted this week. It's just me to you being honest. I've struggled this week with what has happened spiritually. It's not that I'm mad at God. It's not that I don't believe in God. But I'm wrestling through what, what has happened. And I read this verse, you can't doubt. And I thought, wow, are none of my prayers going to be answered? And I had to continue through the rest of the verse to understand what James was saying. Because it's not just doubt. It's doubt that results in, according to verse 8, double-mindedness and spiritual instability. And God drove me back to a picture not of a sincere Christian who is struggling with the events of a week, but to an insincere person who wants a little bit of God and a little bit of the world at the same time. And God drove me back to a lady in Genesis chapter 3 named Eve. If you're familiar with the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, it's interesting that Satan's first conversation with Eve, the first thing he ever said to Eve, the first, the first arrow that he ever threw spiritually at Eve was to try to get her to doubt that God was good, that God was in control, and that she needed to obey God's plan for her life. Look at Genesis 3.1. The first words out of Satan's mouth to Eve, Genesis 3.1, he said to the woman, did God really say? See, he's trying to plant a seed of doubt in Eve's heart, not so that she would wonder if God was God, but he was trying to plant a seed of doubt, and if you want to write these D's down, there, there's going to be three of them. She was trying to, he was cr trying to create a seed of doubt that would lead to discrediting what God said to do. You see, doubt that is faith struggling through an issue is not the same as doubt that discredits. Now, you say, what's the difference? Here's doubt that discredits. Doubt that discredits, did God really say this? And you, then you begin to think, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what God said, but I don't really care what God said. And discrediting what God says turns into the third word would be disdain. You, you not only discredit what God says, you don't even care what God says, and you will not recognize what God says. And, and here's the life and the heart of a double-minded Christian. The light and, life and heart of a double-minded Christian says, I need God to forgive me of my sins. I need God to get me to heaven. But everything else he says to do with my life, I ain't hearing it. My life is mine. He can have my soul. He can have my eternity. But my life is mine. See, the doubt leads to discrediting. I don't really care what this says. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And the discrediting leads to disdain where eventually you don't care about God. You don't love God. And as I struggled through this, I, I, I wrote down a phrase that I was reading this this morning in the early service. And I thought, that doesn't even make sense. Like, as I'm preaching, I'm having this conversation with myself thinking, you can't read that. That doesn't that even make sense. But it does when I get all the way through it. Here's what I learned this week as I wrestled with God through uncertainty of what happened. The opposite of doubt is not a lack of doubt for Christians who are trying to press through issues. The opposite of doubting is not a lack of doubting. Instead, it's a reliance in the face of doubt on faith, hope, and love. So where'd you get that? The Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul went through an entire chapter about how Christians live their life and how they treat people and how they love people and how they interact with the world. And Paul said, at the end of the day, sometimes here's the only thing that remains. Sometimes nothing makes sense but this. But at the end of the day, we always come back to this. Three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And at the end of the day, when you don't get it and it doesn't make sense and you don't like it, you have faith, you have hope in God, and you just love the best you can 
while sometimes not understanding things. And, and I began to look at this, this thing of faith, and I read what the Bible wrote about faith, and I thought, man, this is really interesting because some of us have not progressed in our life of faith. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that a moment of faith is given to us. Some of you have had a moment of faith where you have prayed to receive Jesus. You, it was a vacation Bible school, or it was a youth camp, or it was on a mission trip. You've had a very real moment of faith. God gave you the ability to see that he was God, to see that Jesus was your Savior, and you stepped into a relationship with God. You've had a moment of faith. And the Bible says a moment of faith is given to you by God, but a lifetime of faith is built through you pursuing God. Where does the Bible say that? Let me show it to you. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God. So the ability to know who God is, the ability to believe in Jesus, God has given the world that ability to understand who he is through what we would call special revelation, his word and general revelation, the world around us. God has given you the ability to have a moment of faith. Romans 12.3 says the exact same thing. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed each of you. So if you're sitting here today and you have ever began a relationship with God, God gave you a moment of faith. But the intention was that moment of faith would lead to a lifetime pursuit of faith. Say, so how does that work? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. In verse 1 and verse 6, we see faith played out in the life of a Christian. The writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is confidence and what we hope for and assurance about the things we do not see. So faith is not fact. Faith is not evidence. Faith is something in the soul that says, I just believe this with all my heart, even though I can't see it, even though I can't know it. I just know God is telling my spirit, this is it for me. Faith is the confidence we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, some of you stopped at your moment of faith. And you're still standing there with your faith medal on and you're saying, I have faith and I have Jesus and I'm going to heaven. But you're literally still at the starting line of the race and people keep passing you and waving at you. And you're like, man, keep going. And you're stuck on phase one of faith. You see, the Bible says that a faith moment is meant to lead to a faith journey. And as we study prayer, prayer is part of the faith journey. Prayer is part of the lap. Prayer is part of the water that you need every now and then you go. Prayer is part of the journey of you walking with God. If you've had a moment of faith, but you haven't followed it with a journey of faith, you can't expect to feel close to God today. You can't expect, according to the Bible, to... Um, just simply ask God for things and to get it. You, you've got to uphold your end of the bargain. God has given you a moment of faith, and now you've got to run with that to be close to him. So the Bible says that people who have two-faced living, two-faced thinking, they want a little bit of faith, but they want a lot of their own life, that person is never really going to feel close to God through prayer. The Bible also says it's selfish ambition, according to the book of James. Selfish ambition is going to keep us from pursuing Jesus passionately and living the life he wants to live for us. And according to James, it's going to keep our prayers from being answered. We can get down on our knees. We can pray the Acts outline. We can pray the Jabez outline. We can do it backwards, forwards, upside down. We can use the 40-day prayer journal. We could do it for 400 days. But if our prayers are all based and our life is based in selfish ambition, James says it ain't going to happen. Where is that? James chapter 3 leading into James chapter 4. In James chapter 3, James says, Who is wise in understanding? 
Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. He then goes on to connect the attitude of this person with prayer. And in James 4, 3, he says this. When you ask, who's you? You tie it back to verse three, chapter 3, verse 14. When people with selfish ambition and bitter envy driving their life, verse 3, when you ask God for things, you don't receive them because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Let me ask you a question. I just encouraged you, challenged you, showed you how to ask God to bless you. But here's my follow-up question. Why do you want God to bless you? Is it just for you? Or do you want God to bless you so you can turn around and be a blessing to others? Do you want God to bless you so that he can use you? Or do you just want God to bless you like because you want to be blessed? Um, you know, in, in, in our culture of the United States of America that I love so much, we have a culture that says spend everything you get um, and more. And if you ever make more, spend more. And go ahead and think about what you're going to spend if you ever make that because that's how we dream. That's the American dream. And we have a culture who has spent everything they've got and then they've spent what they don't got. That's called debt. And not only do we have that culture among individuals, our government has that culture, which is why we've got trillions of dollars worth of debt. And, you know, both political parties over the last quarter century have built that. I'm not making a political statement. I'm stating a fact. We spend all we have, then we spend what we don't have, and we just hope to figure it out all out later. And that's exactly what James chapter 3 and 4 is talking about. James 4 says, when you pray, you don't get what you're praying for because God knows you're going to spend it on your own pleasures. That word spend in the Greek means spend completely. God knows that if he, give, if he blesses you with 10 out of 10 things that you want, you're going to take 10 out of 10 things and you're going to use them all for you because you only think about you for people that James is addressing this portion of his letter to. You know, a few months ago, I met with um, an entrepreneur who's, probably 40, uh, and he kind of laid out, you know, I, I don't want to call him boastful, but he was confident, um, and, you know, and, and he, was, uh, he was excited about his life plan. And he said, Christian, you know, here's where I am at 40, and here's what I make, and here's how I'm living my life, and I believe by 45, I can double my business and move to this place and do this and do this, and I believe by uh, 50, uh, I'll be able to double again and be here and here. And at 55, I see myself as having almost tripled my business and I'll be here and here and I'll be, have this vacation home and all this stuff and I just stopped. And, and he had basically told me he had a dream over 15 years to grow his business by 1,000%. And I said, what if God's goal for you is to build your business by 1,000% but to live at the exact same level you are now and just not, to, not, not like every time God blesses you to just go do new house, new car, new boats, new vacation home. Like, what if he just, what if he wants you to do that, but, but he doesn't want you to spend it all? And he said, I've never, I've never even thought of that possibility. And, you know, I wonder how many of us there are who, um, like, we, we already know where the next house we want to buy is. We've already picked out our next car. We already know where we want to go on our next vacation. We're just waiting for the money to come in. And the minute it comes in, we're going to spend all of it on us because we only think about us. What if God wants to bless you with a huge tax return or a huge bonus or a huge promotion, but he doesn't want you to spend any of it. He wants you to give it away or use it in a different way. See, James is telling people, if you live life and you never even stop to think 
does God want me to do anything else besides stuff for me with this? He says, you're not going to get as much as God would like to give you. So I, I don't tell people. I told our early service, I'm not asking you to give away everything in your life. I'm just asking you to ask God if he wants to use any of it in, in other areas. You know, we're looking for people that have been radically blessed by God. We're looking for nice people to be greeters at, to, so they can serve God at our church. We're looking for the early people in our church that for some reason they like to wake up at 4.30 and drink coffee. And, you know, maybe you're one of those people. I'm not. I have to set my alarm if I get up, you know, before it's light outside. Um, but you just love to be up early. Maybe you could take that DNA that God has given you and come help with set up and serve God that way. We're looking for social people who love to have people over to their house and host and cut fruit and make cookies and all that stuff to host small groups. We're looking for people who maybe play instruments and sings to, to serve on our praise team. We're looking for technical people who work well with computers and who know how to do that to help with our computer stuff. We're looking for people who like babies to work in the nursery and people who are good with kids to work with kids. We're looking for people who have been blessed abundantly financially to pour into the vision of what we're doing here and around the world. See, we're looking for people who will share their life with God through our church rather than people who are saying, I'm so busy, busy living my life, I don't have any time for your God or your church. I don't have any money for God or church. I, I live my life for me. I spend my life on me. God said that spirit is going to hinder your prayer life. Do you get the point? God, God doesn't want everything in your life. He just, he wants you every now and then to stop and say, how can I give God some of what he's already given? Not all, some of what he's already given me so that I can be used of God. I think about Brent down here on the front, front row who's a farmer and who realized he could use his farming skills to teach uh, villages in South Africa farming methods that are so far behind where we are so that hundreds of years from now, they will have food and they will have, um, you know, milk and cheese and eggs from chickens and all this stuff. Brent said, you know, I realize that's something I can do and I, I, I just, I'm going to, he, he's made a radical sacrifice. I'm going to move to Africa and do that. Your sacrifice doesn't have to be that radical, but you need to begin to think, how can I use what I have for God? So James is going to say one thing that's going to hinder your prayer life is if it's all about you. One thing that will hinder your life with Jesus is if it's all about you. But I believe number three is the biggest hindrance to the prayer life of Christians in our church. And James says that when you have indifference, what is indifference? You just don't care. You just don't think. You just don't pray. Why? Never thought about it. Didn't have time. Never entered my mind. James says that people who have indifference, and he says this in the last part of James 4 too. He said there's a lot of people who will never be close to prayer, because, be close to God through prayer because of this. He, here's what he says in verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. James says, you know what the prayer problem with most Christians is? They don't pray. Why? They just don't. Don't even think about it. It hasn't even registered with them that they should. Why? Here's the truest spiritual answer to that. I don't mean to offend anyone, but I'm putting truth to actions because you don't think you need God. You're just, you're just kind of indifferent. You're glad you have God. Sunday's a good church thing. You want to go to heaven when you die. You want your sins forgiven. If a crisis happens, I'll pray. But most of the time, we're just indifferent. We just, you know, it's not that we're against God. Just don't need him today. I'm, you know, I'm good. And James says there's a lot of people who never get close to Jesus through prayer because they don't pray. And one thing I've been trying to teach our church, I, I taught this through marriage in February. You really can't have a great marriage, a great relationship in marriage unless you're vulnerable with your spouse, unless you become dependent upon your spouse and you need them. 
And we live in a culture that says never need anyone and always have a small spot reserved that's kind of a bailout. You know, your husband might leave you, your wife might leave you, you might get fired. Always take care of yourself. And we never just lean all in and get dependent on something. But God is saying, get dependent on me because you can trust me. Don't be indifferent. Just every day wake up and think, Lord, I need you today. Get dependent on the things of God. You know, this indifference um, thought of James chapter 4 hit me in an interesting way this week because the Bible so often portrays God as father, um, as a dad. And you know this. If you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, it begins this way. Our father. We're, we're taught to see God as father. And the Bible says that God sees us as children, which if you have kids, you understand the dynamic of that relationship a little bit. And I had a moment this week that was a pretty cool dad moment that at the same time was a pretty shameful Christian moment. And by Christian, I mean follower of Jesus, not, not my name. And here's what happened. My son, on, on uh, Tuesday night, we were hanging out, and we were watching some sports game on TV, and he was kind of clicking around on the iPad on a chair. My little girl had already gone to bed, and I said, what are you, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just looking through my Google Docs account uh, for my poetry notebook. And I said, what? You have a Google Docs account? And he's like, yeah, we set those up at school, and my poetry notebook's in there, so I'm just looking through my Google Docs for my poetry notebook. And I'm like, I don't even know how to do Google Docs. Like, can you teach me? You know, he's 11. He's like, can you teach me how to do Google Docs? So he comes over, and he's like, well, you got to take your email address. I said, you got an email address? He's like, yeah, I got an email address. He's like, what's your email address? So he gave me his email address. And I said, I'm going to send you an email. Um, in case you ever need anything at school so you can email me. Because uh, once I send you an email, it'll be in your inbox, and all you have to do is hit reply. And he's like, cool, whatever. So I sent him an email, um, you know, and didn't think much about it. And two days later, I'm driving down the road, going from one meeting to another, kind of um, stressful things spiritually that I'm dealing with, and I get a buzz on my phone that I get a message. And I click down my phone, and I open up my email, and it says this, hey, Dad, what's up from school, little C? And I want to be honest with you, man. That made my day. Like, everything I was worried about, everything I was stressed about, I thought, my son is at school, and he's thinking about me, and he cared enough to send me an email and say hello. Like, that made my day. And I thought, you know, as a dad, I, I felt so good but then I thought of myself as a child of God, and I felt so bad because I thought there are too many days in my life where I don't even recognize God the Father enough to say, hey, what's up, God? This is what I'm doing. Sorry I didn't have time to get on my knees. Sorry I didn't have time to do the axe deal. Sorry I didn't have time to say a lot, but um, just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Man, what kind of relationship would we allow ourselves to be in where no one ever talked to us unless they needed us. Wouldn't we feel used rather than loved? And James is presenting, he's not just presenting how to pray, he's presenting spiritual DNA. He's saying, listen man, get in and get all in. And realize it's not just about you. A lot of it's about you, but not all of it. And realize that if you can go days or weeks or months without thinking about God, you're not in a love relationship, you're in a use relationship. And change that. Now, you say, okay, Christian, I, I get that. What do, you, what do you want me to do? Well, on the next steps portion of 
your bulletin on the back of your sermon notes, there's three things that, or four things that, that I want you to do. Um, one, I want you to learn the routine of prayer so that you have a relationship with God. Not so that you pray, but so that you learn how to have a daily relationship with God. So we've got a little link there when we say take the 40-day prayer challenge. Pastor Ryan, who does our spiritual growth groups, found this. Um, it's a great little 40-day deal. One of the ladies in our early service showed it to me. She had printed it off, taken it to Kinko's, had it like in a binder with a plastic cover. I was like, man, that's cool. We should have done that with all of them. Um, but it's literally like a paragraph. And I told our people last week, write the letters A-C-T-S down the side of the page. Fill it in once a week and just take 60 seconds to three to five minutes a day to acknowledge your heavenly father that you're thinking about, that, that you love him. Why? Not just so you pray, but so you get in a pattern of having a relationship with God. On that, develop the weekly Acts prayer list. Just write the stuff, go fill it in. Um, I want to encourage you for your own life. Begin to develop and pray the prayer of Jabez prayer over your life. I love it. It's been simple. It helps guide me to understand, hey God, here's what I need. Hey God, here's what I'm asking you to be with. Man, please don't leave me. Keep me from the garbage in my life that could hurt me, spiritually, physically, mentally me, or my family. It's just been a great guide to me uh, if you don't have one for yourself yet. But then fourthly, I want you to honestly evaluate today and examine your life for the prayer problems that keep you from praying or that keep you from having a prayer life that feels spiritually moving. Maybe it's indifference. You just, you don't pray because you just, because you don't. You just haven't thought to. Maybe it's, um, self-absorption absorption, and you're just, you know, you pray, but it's only so you can have things so that you can use for you. Uh, or perhaps uh, it's that you have a two-faced lifestyle and you're a Christian one moment, but as soon as you step out of the door, you're not. And until the DNA of your life matches, God can't really pour all of his life into you. Now, the Bible says the best time to examine your life and the best way to examine your life, the way they did it in the early church, the way that Jesus said to do it and then the Apostle Paul said to do it was over what we call the Lord's Supper or communion uh, where you, through acknowledging the body and blood of Jesus, you just think deeply again on what Jesus did for you and where your life is in relation to the facts of what God did for you. I'm going to ask our band to come up because they're going to worship a little bit. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward as we get ready to pass out the communion stuff. But here's my goal today. As we ch and this is kind of the conclusion of this message and service. As we move into the conclusion point, my goal for you, my challenge for you today is just to stop your world for five minutes this morning and just think about who Jesus is and what he did for you. And how you have acknowledged that spiritually through prayer, yes. Through reading God's word, yes. Through getting in church faithfully, all those things. You, you can think through all those things. But more than that, it's a heart issue. And I want you today maybe to target one of these things and to say, you know what, God, when I think about who Jesus is and what he did for me, and I look at how indifferent I have been, or I look at how selfish I have been, or I look at how two-faced I have been, I'm sorry. And today I ask you to help me. Help me get back on my spiritual journey with you. God, I see today as an on-ramp, and I'm going to drive my car back onto the spiritual highway of life and begin to walk with you, whatever that looks like. I'm going to try to have a daily relationship with you because I love you, because 
you are my heavenly dad. And I think about you every now and then, and, and every now and then I just want to check in and say what's up. And every now and then I, I might need something from you. And every now and then I might want to tell you about something great that has happened. And every now and then I just might feel depressed out of my mind and just need someone to talk to. But God, I, I want to get into a relationship with you. Not just a church thing. 